Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome. It is a Thursday night. This is the Independence Gang's Patriots Roundtable. I'm JV, along with Britt Griffith. We have a significant treat for you tonight. I mean, this is beyond just like cool. This is actually stratosphere kind of level cool. I don't know if that means anything, if stratosphere level cool is anything. But if it isn't, then it should become something because that's how cool this is. Do you agree, Britt, or are you just going to yes, look at me? I, I mean, you're staring at me like I'm a goat. I, you and sleep well, with goats. Well, uh, uh, well does it, that doesn't mean I want to sleep with you. <laughs> I would choose a goat over you. <laughs> I'm not but happy. I would hey, say, listen, number I didn't one. I suggest it, okay? Well, we've already started this yeah, show off in the gutter. I, I, I do I, want to say one thing, though. I miss Reagan. I miss Reagan. Every oh, time we open with Reagan's voice, it's like, God, oh, I miss that man. Not only, do, not, only do, not only do we miss him, because we both do, but the words that he speaks, that one paragraph in which he delivered oh. i think it was 1960 i can't we, we figured this out once with the 64 68 64. whatever 68 i think Something maybe like anyway when he delivered that speech and he talked about the fact that if we don't teach our children uh meaning education the education system teach them what freedom means and how to how to care for it and pass it on we're going to lose it and we are seeing that occur in spades right now we are watching it happen in front of our eyes we're seeing what a woke education system is doing to the brains of our children we've already had several generations come through that way and we're on the verge of losing everything because of it so um but you know who's on our side with all of this dr peter navarro how would we know this? Dr. Peter Navarro is was, and probably still is, one of President Donald Trump's closest advisors. Dr. Peter Navarro started advising Donald Trump during the campaign in 2016. Donald Trump won the presidency that year, assumed office in 2017. Dr. Peter Navarro uh, remained one of his closest advisors. He served several roles in the White House, and he didn't leave until Trump left the White House in 2021. That's how committed Dr. Peter Navarro is, was, and remains to uh, Donald Trump. He served as the assistant to the president. He served as the director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. He served as the Defense Production Act Policy Coordinator when Trump invoked the Defense Production uh, Act to uh, create uh, get respirators and PPE during the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Dr. Peter Navarro is a Trump insider, if anybody is a Trump insider. He's the one. And we get to talk to him tonight. This is really, really cool. Yeah. And the book that he wrote in Trump time, when I first saw the title, I meant Trump's time in office. But that's not what it means. It talks about they, there was a running joke in the administration and of CEOs of major companies 
Trump got stuff done so fast, they called it Trump time. There was, and it wasn't just the vaccine that they rushed through with Operation Warp Speed. It was everything that Trump wanted to do. He pulled people together. He put CEOs in headlocks. He made stuff happen, and they would jokingly call it Trump time. And uh, Dr. Navarro was there for all of that. Uh, he also talks about his love of Dr. Fauci, who he wants to personally <laughs> put in cuffs and in jail. Yeah. Amazing. I, re I, I do his book on audio. I do all books on audio. He actually narrates the book, and then he has special guests come in to do their own voice for what they said. Um, the book was amazing. The things that I learned from him reading his book or listening to his book and then thinking back to what I was watching at the time and how it all just pieces together, it just his book just just takes everything that we witnessed under the Trump run and just ties it all together to where it makes sense. And at the end of listening to his book, it is amazing. It is a feat of God that Trump got done what he got done because he had so many Judases in his mix. It was crazy. The amount of establishment, globalist, forever war people that were just backstabbing Trump and trying to do what they want. And it was amazing he got done what he got done, but he got a lot done. And uh, but yeah, the book is absolutely worth picking up. The links are in the descriptions of our videos on our various platforms. You want to click on that and pick it up. It, it's a great listen or read. I suggest everybody do it. Yeah, and we happen to know what uh, Peter Navarro is going to say tonight because we actually had to record this interview earlier today based on his schedule, and we were more than happy to accommodate him to make this happen. So we did. And one of the best lines is one of the first lines that he <laughs> gives us in this interview, which is, we need to get Fauci out of government and behind bars or in jail or something like that. He is not a fan of Dr. Fauci, and he goes into uh, detail about some of the conversations that he and Fauci and Trump had in the Oval Office, and it wasn't a pretty sight. They were not fans of each other, uh, but uh, Navarro knew what Fauci was up to. V Navarro knew that Fauci was lying, and v Navarro knew how dangerous he was. And Navarro basically says that, you know, and it's all encompassed in this pandemic thing, but but Fauci is one of the biggest reasons that Trump didn't get reelected. We didn't have a chance to go into this idea that you and I have talked about before, Britt, that maybe not getting elected, even though we had to have to suffer through Joe Biden, maybe it's the best thing that's ever happened to Trump because it's given him an opportunity to sit back, regroup, rethink. And it's allowed the American public to see the difference, the difference between what we yeah. had when Donald Trump was in office and what we've got with this clown in office. So maybe these four years, and as painful as they'll be, are actually a, a good therapeutic for the country. And uh, if Donald Trump ends up running and winning, uh, people will appreciate him all that much more. And then also all of that, what we're learning about how the swamp work on top of the Trump, just the, the general operation of the swamp and their shadiness. And the, I mean, who knew who would have thunk that the director Fauci of the NIHS, whatever the hell his group is, would blatantly ignore two presidents, Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And keep doing gain of function, just doing what they want to do because they want to do it because they think they're smarter and in charge. And the other thing that I learned from Navarro's book, which I did not know, is that Dr. Fauci went to medical school way, way, way back in the day. He went to medical school so long ago that the 
the medical devices we're using today would be like using the old scrub and beat method to wash your clothes today <laughs> and having a machine, a washing machine right next to you. That's how long ago he was in medical school. He did two years of a residency and then went to work for the CDC, went to work for the government, yeah. has been in the government ever since. Dr. Fauci is not a doctor. He is a bureaucrat. He is not a doctor. And he is a bureaucrat that is the highest paid federal employee on the planet. and God knows how much he has grifted off of the big pharma industries that have, you know, given money to his wife or his son or built him a little of this, all the under under the radar shit that they do. Uh, he has uh, made himself a lot of money on the backs of us Americans, and he also has blood on his hands, which we do ask uh, uh, Dr. Navarro about. And he does go into a little bit of detail on our show about his hate for, hatred of Fauci, what he's doing. But in the book, he really lays it out, and in his book, it has the receipts. It tells you where to look. He was there. He took a journal the whole time he was there because he knew he was in history. Yeah. So he has a journal where every day, at the end of the day, he filled out what went down. Um, it's pretty impressive. And uh, I want to vote for him for president. <laughs> uh, he's very, very uh, disciplined in his answers, and he's very, very disciplined in what information yeah. he's willing to talk about, as you'll see in our discussion here. We got 15 minutes to talk to Dr. Peter Navarro. We did it earlier today, just a few hours ago, and we're going to let you enjoy these 15 minutes and get some get as much satisfaction out of the answers that he gave us as we got out of those. And then after the interview, we're going to come back. We're actually going to bring in Trish, uh, who's also interested in talking about this. So the three of us will will actually do a kind of a, a post-mortem on the interview and talk about some of those issues. Plus, we'll talk about some of the other things in the news today. So if you're ready to do this, uh, here is the interview that Britt and I had with Dr. Peter Navarro. So we have a really, really exciting week to uh, wind up here. We started with an election day, which was kind of exciting, but uh, even better. We're going to end the week here with a really terrific discussion. We've got uh, a, a, an excellent guest here, former assistant to President Donald Trump and author of a new book called In Trump Time, a Journal of America's Plague Year. We're talking about Dr. Peter Navarro. Uh, Dr. Navarro, welcome to the program. Great to have you here. It's such an honor to talk to you. It's a truly uh, enjoyable, J.V. And um, this In Trump Time book um, is really a mission for me. The, the top line is um, people read In Trump Time, and we will move uh, Tony Fauci out of government into a jail cell. We will in China accountable uh, for the uh, attack, effectively, they've made on the United States. And uh, we will get to the bottom of what happened on November 3rd and January 6th. Wow. You've just answered about seven of my questions all in a, in a single answer there. That's a, a great way to start the program. Before we get, before we get into the meat of this, though, uh, Dr. Navarro, yeah. just your thoughts on, on Election Day here. Uh, there are a lot of people that had a lot of smiles Wednesday morning. What were your thoughts? This, um, in, in my lifetime, I've never seen a state race have such uh, important national significance. Uh, I described it uh, that night on election coverage as, as the shot heard around Capitol Hill. Um, right now, as an economist, I can tell you we're facing the worst stagflation crisis um, we, we've ever seen, uh, fueled by the profligacy of, of the Pelosi squad, Biden regime forces. And, and what that Virginia race signaled uh, to Capitol Hill, um, to every Democrat who's in even a remotely contestable district, 
is that they damn well better be careful here uh, and not push any more of that Democrat agenda or they're going to wind up um, out, of, out of office uh, in 2022. So hopefully, best-case scenario, Virginia will mean that um, they will cease and desist from passing these trillion dollars of unnecessary bills that, that you know, a fake infrastructure bill, a woke progressive zombie, uh, whatever the heck that thing is. I still haven't figured it out yeah. other than a, a tax hike on poor people. Um, so that, that, that's, it's a big deal. And, you know, part of the, the ethic and ethos of the In Trump Time book um, is, is taken from what I call the canon of Steve Bannon, where he's always, like, talking about action, action, action. He did that when, when I was in the White House with him. And that, in Virginia, that, that result was no accident. It was a part of action, action, action on the part of uh, particularly parents, moms, mama bears, as I call them, yeah. who uh, simply were, were uh, up in arms, literally, over having uh, woke, uh, critical race theory jammed down the kids' throats, um, vaccines jabbed into their arms, masks put on them so they breathe carbon dioxide. It was like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not putting up with that crap anymore, McAuliffe. Get your, get your butt out of here. Uh, we're not doing that now anymore. We want reading, writing, arithmetic so our kids will be prepared for uh, the global competition that, that bears down on us every day. Yeah. Do you think that sentiment lasts through 2022 and then extends even to 2024, Dr. Navarro? No, no question about that. I mean, it, look, it's a done deal uh, that, that 2022 will see uh, the Republicans uh, take back the House. But as I talk about in the In Trump Time book, there's a clear division between the, the traditional Republicans represented by Mitch McConnell, the Senate leader, who, yep. and Kevin McCarthy, the House leader, versus Trump Republicans. And I, you know, I spent, you know, I'm a Trump Republican. And what, what does that mean? That means that, yeah, I like the tax cuts to bring corporate uh, investment back on shore and make factories. That's cool. I, I get that. I like deregulation because that makes us more cost competitive, just like the traditional Republicans. Um, I like strategic energy dominance and energy independence, just like the traditional Republicans. That's what, that's what we fought for in the Trump administration. But where Trumpism diverges from, from traditional uh, silk-stocking corporate republicanism on, is, is uh, on the secure border issue and free, tra free versus fair trade. And, uh, and the McConnellites, the corporations that fund the McConnellites, the Rhinos, the Romneys, the Sasses, um, they never saw a job they didn't want to offshore. You know, if you can offshore your jobs to the sweatshop of Asia, you make a few more bucks as a corporation. And if you can bring in uh, cheap labor across the border and drive down wages of Americans, you can make, make a few bucks more. So the point is, and the In Trump Time book is dedicated towards this, it's we, if we have to not only take back uh, the House but it, and, uh, and keep the Senate, uh, we have to do it in the name of Trumpism, MAGA, deplorable, uh, populist economic nationalism, and, and therein lies the fight in the tail. 
What do you say to folks like John Kasich or uh, Bill Kristol, you know, former, he says he's a Republican, I don't know, uh, or some of these other never-Trumpers, these people that really fought and they supported Biden, uh, they can't be looking at what's happening right now and think they made the back the right horse. What are your thoughts on folks like that? Well, uh, Bill, Bill Kristol, I mean, that guy's just a flat-out uh, high IQ moron, as, as uh, Obama, interesting enough, used to call it some of the guys he would meet. Um, he, you know, but Crystal has so much blood on his hands for his support of the endless wars in the Middle East uh, that, that he's no longer credible. And I think it became personal for Crystal between him and Trump because Trump called him out. It's like, hey, you, you, you killed people with that stupid wars that, that you propagated and, you know, the lies about the yellow cake and all that stuff. So, so Crystal, I mean, just, you know, Kasich um, – I think Kasich at one point lost his way, kind of fell in love with himself, fell in love with the idea that, that he could be president. Um, uh, and, and once, the, the, once the, the left embraced him kind of as the Republican savior, um, all hope was lost. I mean, I don't take him seriously. Nobody in Ohio takes him seriously anymore. Um, he, he, he's had his day. And uh, nobody listens to him any more than they listen to Chris Christie or other of these guys. Um, it's Trump and Trumpism that rules. Uh, the boss has, a, I think, a 99% uh, uh, batting average in terms of people that he's supported in races. And um, this, this country is, is pure Trump. And the In Trump Time book, I think, it's, it's an important book because it's the last year that Trump administered. It, it's about what we did right, um, that the media basically distorted. But it, it, it's also about what went wrong and how we can make that right. A lot of uh, people uh, may have buyer's remorse, people that may have supported Joe Biden. They're looking at things like the loss of energy independence, gas prices, the border being overrun by nearly two million illegals and more on the way. Uh, you know, that list is quite long. Uh, how does it look to you? Do you think Americans are starting to recognize what they gave up when they lost President Trump? Uh, elections have consequences. Stolen elections appear now to have catastrophic consequences. If you simply look at the polling, it, it's, the polling's fascinating. The, the, the most stark poll that came out last week um, indicated, and it was a large sample of voters, that 35 percent of the American public wants that election overturned. It's not just they think it was rigged or might, might have been stolen. They want it overturned. And after they get finished reading in Trump time, it's going to be well over 50 percent, because I do make the case dating back to before uh, before Inauguration Day of the illegitimate Biden that this election was stolen. And it, 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 it's, there's no question now. And the fact that that everything that Biden has touched uh, has turned to disaster uh, makes it all the more important that we get to the bottom of November 3rd and what happened on January 6th with this, this alleged insurrection, because yeah. there's a great reveal uh, about January 6th. in uh, and, and, uh, the chapter 21 and in Trump time starts out, you know, it's a cold, raw, windy day in Washington, D.C. Uh, as, as the sun comes up over the National Mall and the last three people on God's good earth who want violence that day are Stephen K. Bannon, Donald John Trump and me. Right. And we had a, a plan called the Green Bay Sweep. It was a strategy 
that Mike Pence was supposed to quarterback on Capitol Hill, um, and it was uh, derailed by the violence and, and led to the betrayal of the president by Pence. And so there's just a lot of things, I think, that, that are unsettling to America now. Fauci, um, arguably, um, besides Steven Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary under Trump, uh, are the two biggest villains in the piece. But, but Fauci uh, just has so much blood on his hands from his role um, in creating the pandemic itself in a Wuhan lab uh, that uh, it's, it, you know, I'm hoping that after people read in Trump time, there will be no one left in this country among dwindling number of Fauciites that will want that guy um, to continue in government. Uh, and uh, I'm sure there's going to be most Americans want him in, in jail. Dr. Tomorrow, this is Britt. And I, I, I read your book this morning and yesterday. I've been listening to it while I've been working. And I, I don't understand how you were able to be in the room with Fauci when, when you figured out what was going on. And how come Fauci seems like he's going to get away with this? Or And how come Trump never fired him? I don't understand how he survived. Yeah, there's a lot of questions there. I mean, first of all, like, like, if you read the book, you know that I first met him in the sit room on January 28, 2020. Yep. And uh, he was against the travel ban. I was there at the president's request to argue on behalf of it. And you know, I'm telling him, he's telling me travel bans don't work. I'm in a violent argument with him. And the funny thing about uh, is you know, I, I – um, you know, I, I, I didn't know who he was, right? So I had no preconception, didn't know he walked on water, nothing. And I came away from that meeting thinking that he thinks he's smarter than he is, which is always dangerous. And I knew in my gut he was going to hurt the president. And it was a violent confrontation we had that day. We were, like, shouting at each, at each other. But, but the thing that, that, that most strikes me, which I write about in the In Trump Time book, is the fact that even at that time, early in the pandemic, Fauci committed what is arguably the biggest lie of omission uh, ever in, in public health history. I mean, after all, what did he know? He knew the virus came from Wuhan. He knew it came within yards of the lab, so it probably came from the lab. He knew that he funded the lab. He knew that he lifted the ban on the gain-of-function experiments that can turn a, a harmless bat virus into a human killer. And he had received an email from a prominent scientist telling flat out, hey, I looked at this, it's genetically engineered, ergo, a bioweapon. He knew all of that. And still, he didn't tell the president, me, or the task force. We could have saved millions of lives if we had just known that. And the guy is a narcissist. All he wants to do is get on TV, smile, and say, oh, shucks, uh, and, and, and lift his persona. He's a sociopath. Because every time he lies and gets caught in a lie, he tells another lie to cover up. Oh, oh, it's not from it's from nature, not the lab. Oh, yeah, well now it's maybe from the from the lab. Oh, uh, it's gain of function. Uh, no, it's not gain. Oh, it might have been gain of function, but it really didn't do anything to weaponize. I mean, the guy. Um, and, and look, throughout the book, I have these confrontations with him. There's, there's a big one over hydroxychloroquine in the sit room. As well, and oh, I yes. think about it. I was the only guy there who stood up to him. Right? I told the boss to fire him twice, uh, but but I don't blame the boss for not doing it. I mean, I'm a trade guy. What do I know? Right? On the other side, there was like the four big guys. You know, 
Azar, there's Redfield, there's Collins from NIH, there's Han from the FDA. Oh, Fauci's a great guy. Keep him. But mostly I blame Mulvaney for that because he was the acting chief of staff, and he was like, he's scared of his shadow for firing Fauci. The press team was scared. They didn't want blowback, right? Ooh, that'd be a bad story. It's, hey, it's a one-day story. Get over it, as Mike, Mick might say. Uh, fire the guy. It was like Churchill with, with Hitler. It's like strangle the Fauci baby in his crib. But, but the guy, he's just, you've read the book. He, he's pure evil. That man is pure evil. Yes. I don't, I disagree with you. I don't think, I don't think he's going to escape free. I mean, his approval rating has already gone from 80% down to like 30%, and it, it's, it's heading further down. And um, he's, he's going to jail um, if, if we get back to Congress in 2022, because the Republican Congress will prosecute that SOB. Dr. Navarro, we've got you like for two more minutes here. Uh, how should yeah. China pay for what happened? How should China pay this price? Uh, in the In Trump Time book, I actually do the calculation. Uh, as an economist, that's kind of what I do. And they owe us reparations in excess of $20 trillion, and that's just to the United States alone. Uh, we should collect those, wipe out their debt. We should seize the real estate of every Chinese Communist Party official. Uh, that's in this country that's bought real estate here. Uh, and we would force them to pay and come clean about the virus, decouple from uh, their economy. They're, they're liars, cheaters, and stealers trying to kill us. And I think one of the great things about Donald Trump was he, he lifted the consciousness of the American people to, to make them realize that. So, you know, the, the pitch for the In Trump Time book is simple. It's, it's up on Amazon. Get it. Get one for your, your friends. If, if you finish the book and you don't believe that Fauci should go to jail, I'll give you double your money back. <laughs> but this is <laughs> this is like critical here. It's like uh, and and help me out because look, you know this. Like you, all the books. How many books have you read about the Trump administration? Right, mm -hmm. Rucker, Woodward, Wolf, Bender. They're all lies based on anonymous sources and BS. I'm giving you whiskey straight, no chaser. Truth is in the room definitive insider's account and i appreciate you guys giving me a little bit of time today to talk about this thank you and if you just indulge us does trump run in 2024 and are you part of the team if he does it's important in the interim time book to get to the bottom of november 3rd before we even go to 2024 if that election was stolen as i prove it was in 2020 what are we waiting great. for yeah great dr uh, peter navarro thank you very much for your time all right gentlemen Okay, so there it is. Uh, terrific discussion and a lot of really interesting information, Britt. I mean, it's it's rather spectacular uh, what we learned tonight and uh, what the book reveals. Again, the book is uh, available on Amazon. It's called In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year. And, of course, he's talking about COVID and the, uh, and the, the election year of 2020. So a lot of great stuff there. I, I I listen to it on audio. I do all my books that way, and he actually narrates it. It's great. The stuff that I learned was amazing. And then just our knowledge, because we're so super into this, we read the news every day. Yeah. And listening to him narrate, he's going through, and then me remembering back, oh, I remember that on CNN. Oh, I remember that on Fox. I remember him saying it. It's just, it, it's such a weird thing just to bring the, to bring that whole time full circle of the pandemic and the way it closed in on us. And then the transition to Biden and the chaos that has happened since then. Uh, but the book is also easy to understand. Again, another book that someone wrote to a third grader like me to understand 
And it just, it makes so much sense. Fauci, he does not deserve it. He, he does not deserve a, uh, a humanitarian way out. He does not deserve um, a quick exit from this. A graceful exit. A, he, he, uh, a graceful, graceful exit. exit. He, he deserves to go out Roman style, like throw him into the center of the Coliseum <laughs> and release the Lions style. The, the, the decisions this man made in this book that is laid out and his team around him, the anti-Trumpers along with the anti-Trump media killed, like Dr. Navarro said, millions of people. And he documents it out. And you can see it. This whole hydro... I thought I knew a lot about hydro... hydro Hydroxychloroquine. Work for me, please. Hydroxychloroquine. I thought I knew a lot about it until I read this book. And it makes so much more sense about what was going on and how evil the decisions that were being made behind the scenes were. And it all boiled back to basically money. Money and the hatred of Trump. Money and the hatred for Trump. So our elected officials and the bureaucrats they hired decided to let Americans and civilian citizens around, civilians around the world die by the millions because they hated Trump and they wanted to make more money. And it's documented. Once again, he, he, the he sources materials. Once again, the book is called In Trump Time, a journal of America's play gear, and you can find it on Amazon. And we have links in the description of the program, and we prefer you click on those links to make the purchase. It gives us a little bit of credit. Yeah, so it's a great book. Um, as we, you know, people probably can't tell if we're live or we're Memorex here. If you remember that commercial, but uh, Trish is joining, or Trish is joining us here as we talk about this. Uh, I just, I, you know, I, I took a bunch of notes here for the second time because during the interview itself, right? You know, we were engaged in talking, and I couldn't take notes. But hearing the discussion the second time around, it's even more striking than the first time. Anyway, welcome, Trish, um, Dr. Peter Navarro. Uh, I didn't think we'd be talking to him on the Patriots Roundtable, but we did, and we're very, very happy to have it. Anything strike you? We're going to talk a lot about some of the things he said and and some of the some of the issues around what he said uh, as we go through here. But anything strike you immediately? I, I just think that if he had known about Fauci and the way he botched the '80s AIDS crisis, I think he would have handled it a little bit different. I think he would have pushed a lot more to get rid of Fauci. Um, so it's unfortunate that he didn't know the history, but yeah, yeah, I, I need to read the book now. <laughs> yeah, because he says that he wasn't familiar with Fauci until that January meeting in 2020 in the, uh, I think he said the Oval Office, I'm not sure, but regardless, uh, he, that's where he met him. And he, he was immediately struck by the fact that uh, he was he was a narcissist and kind of uh, irrational in some of his positions. And he quickly saw, Britt, that he was, uh, you know, Fauci's mission here was more of one of undermining the present president and protecting his own ass than doing what was right for the American people and the rest of the world. Dr. Navarro had a lot of his own chaos going on within the White House because when, when Trump was running, no one wanted to really, the globalists, they all thought it was a joke. He wasn't going to make it. And Dr. Navarro and if you, Bannon and that team that eventually got pushed out, they were running the campaign and they kind of moved into the uh, into the office. But when Trump hired, and I forget the guy's name, started with a W to come in and be the, you know, kind of start taking over stuff. That was a globalist Goldman Sachs type person. Navarro got pushed out. He got pushed out of the White House and then he got pushed across the street to the EEOC building, the executive building, which is like across the street. And he didn't even have an office for like the first month. He was working on his laptop standing at, a, you know, wherever he could in the hallways, wherever. Um, so he was battling that. And uh, in his book, he talks about how, you know, 
the people that pushed him out knew that Trump would not stand for him being fired because he was so loyal to Trump. But they figured if they made his life miserable enough there, he would just quit and go back to California. And he was saying a few times he had to tell himself and they said, nope, hold to stay the course. You got to be here. And then the people that did that to him eventually got uh, drop kicked out of there uh, because Trump kind of figured him out. They got caught for leaking. They got all kinds of stuff. But he had his own internal struggles that he couldn't. He didn't have a big enough hammer to knock Fauci out, but he did keep tipping Trump off. And the book is a great read and it's a really great insight. And that man and his team, he always gives credit to his team. They saved a lot of lives personally. I mean, he tells a story about, about the PPE issues and that they, that they, that uh, Bill de Blasio called them in a panic. They did, they were running out of PPE for the hospitals and it was out of control and, and they need it. They need it. They need it. And, uh, he talks about in the in the on the phone call. He goes, "Well, Bill, is that is that garment district still there? I mean, that big glorious garment district." And and he he secured waterproof gown level medical grade material that they UPS donated a truck and they trucked it in from North Carolina, like two truckloads worth or a truckload worth, big truck and trailer thing. And then they started the garment district started making surgical gowns and surgical masks. I mean, that was how he thought. He thought about, he was a problem solver. These, these politicians would call him and he'd go, well, we can just do this and do that and do this. And shit would happen and shit would get done. I mean, Trump put him in charge of, of getting GE or not GE, GM on board with making ventilators because the CEO of GM really wasn't wanting to go down that road and wasn't wanting to do it. And so Trump put Navarro on the task and it, imagined, it got done because Navarro wouldn't handle the uh, a strike issue that GM was having with the AFL CIO. Right, he handled that. Yeah. In turn, I'm yeah. just saying. I'm just saying the guy. Let, the guy had issues, but he did a lot of shit. But he didn't have the muscle to push Fauci out. Uh, I want to get uh, Trisha's opinion here. One of the first quotes, and Britt and I've uh, actually encapsulated this quote and used it in some promotion for this particular episode. But one of the first things Navarro says to us in this interview is that we need to get Fauci out of government and into a jail cell. Now, he, I, he, this book came out already, so he, he must have been writing this book for the last year. So the information that has been coming out over the last couple of weeks and a mon couple months anyway about you know leaked emails and, and complicity, complicity by Fauci and knowledge of what was happening in Wuhan and then the funding as the public wasn't aware of that. Obviously, Navarro was and has been for some time. Do you see Trish Fauci in a jail cell anytime soon? And when I say soon, the next next three years? I wish I could. That would be a lovely thing because I think that's where he belongs. Unfortunately, our government has a very long history of not holding people accountable, especially if they side with the Democrats. Um, so I would like to be optimistic and say, yes, he will be in a jail cell, but the realistic part of me says that's probably not going to happen. He'll get a slap on the wrist. They'll send him off with severance pay in his retirement, and he will flitter off into obscurity into his little leprechaun land. And, Brett, that's kind of what you said to Navarro, and his reply was, when the Republicans take Congress next year, there will be full-scale investigations, and when they get all the information, he'll be in jail. I mean, he basically said, no, you're wrong. He's going to go to jail. And that's what I hope. I hope he's 100% correct, but... As long as it's the Biden DOJ, I mean that's the that's the enforcement arm. The Congress has doesn't have the ability to arrest and put in jail. That's what the DOJ has to do. Um, 
And I don't, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't see that happen unless they can somehow figure out some stuff at a local level that maybe a state can go after Fauci. I mean, maybe they're violate some state laws in, you know, maybe a more redder ish area that he can be taken out on. But on the, at the federal level, as long as Biden's in office and Gartland's are, are D, uh, AG, no, I, I don't think it happens at all. Uh, moving on from Fauci for a minute here in that discussion. He also calls the two pieces of legislation that, if anybody's been paying attention to the news, Pelosi said they were going to vote on this stuff tonight. Has anybody seen anything about that? The Infrastructure Bill, the Build Back Better Act? I have not. Yeah. No, no I haven't chat? Yeah, I'm just asking anybody in general. So if anybody if anybody in chat is, is, sees anything about this, please let us know. But anyway, uh, he refers to those two pieces of legislation. He calls one the fake infrastructure bill and the other the woke fake zombie bill, which is nothing more than a tax on poor people. That's what Build Back Better is, according to him. Uh, so he is very critical of those two bills. I've seen more information during the course of the day that Manchin is not going to support uh, at least the Build Back Better agenda, and therefore it's dead. Uh, Trish, you think it's dead because I'm 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 concerned it's going to sneak through somehow. Yeah, well, Pelosi put back in the family leave, and Manchin already said that that was a deal breaker for him. So yeah, I think he's going to stay the course, and he's going to he's going to reject. So I, I don't I think it's dead in the water. And I to think what what surprises me most about this whole thing is that Pelosi saw what happened in Virginia. She saw what's happening in New Jersey. She's seeing that these leftist policies are hurting the Democrats. So she, why she would continue All to right, push let me, harder let me interrupt makes no you sense. And let me interrupt you and ask you this question. Did she intentionally put family paid, paid family leave back in the bill, knowing it would scuttle the bill so that they can still have the vote on the bill, but it won't pass, therefore it won't be an albatross around their necks for 2022? Yeah, I th I think she's trying to cut her losses at this point and just get I think she's I think she's not I think she's done. I think she's going to call this a day. She's going to fade off into the sunset and mm. take all of her $25 pints of ice cream with her. So <laughs> I I I think she's finally gotten the message that things are turning and they're not in a good way. And Britt, I said last night on the show that uh that I thought she put that in there because she knows it's not going to pass anyway and she wants all the Republicans to vote no on paid family leave because then they can use that That's in the bad. midterms as well. Right. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi is a pain in the ass, but she's 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 a cunning politician. I mean, that's how they stay in power. And you're right. She, I think it's a little bit of both. I think she knows it ain't going anywhere. Virginia was like, and New Jersey, and all the school boards, and I mean, four Republicans making taking seats in the city of New York. I mean, the, the writing is on the wall. People are done with all this chaos. So she's like, okay, we're gonna scuttle this, and how can I do this where we also have a weapon out of it, which is. In 2022, 2024, oh, oh, this senator or whatever, this congressman, they voted against Family Leave Act because they don't believe in Family Leave Act. They want families to start, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, one of the narratives, Trish, that's come out of Election Day this week was that uh, Republicans are now the party of parents and families. So if Pelosi can set this up so Republicans vote no on paid family leave, can she say, oh, yeah, Look at look at that. Are they really the party of parents if they're not willing to do this? I mean, that's kind of almost looks like a defensive chess move here. Well, yeah. And at this point, it's like it's a 5000 page bill and she's going to pin it all on this one little thing. Seriously, it may, it makes zero, like again, it's just another crappy tactic to, you know, deflect from the, the, the big picture. The big picture is we have a huge omnibus spending bill that is going to cripple our economy it's going to cripple the middle class it's going to destroy the lower class 
So I, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got nothing. Brett, <laughs> Brett, I saw your eyes light up when we were having that conversation when, uh, when the Kit Kat bars came out. But in addition to that, your eyes lit up when he started, Kit Kat bars. <laughs> he, your eyes lit up when he started talking about the difference between the traditional Republicans, the McConnell's, the McCarthy's and the Trump Republicans. And I saw a lot yes. of head nodding, and I'm assuming it wasn't you shaking your leg this time. It was actually you in, in agreement with what he was saying there, <laughs> yes. right? I mean, you seem to light up at that. Oh, yeah. No, no, he was, he was spot on. But I, I want to make a quick segue before I get back to that. Uh, my mom just posted in chat. It's kind of crazy to see my mom in there. And what she did say, which is interesting to our conversation, Fauci made $417,000. That's his yearly salary. But in 2020, he made $9 million in miscellaneous income. Wow. Where does a man like, why does he need to make $9 million? Why does he need to be, he's a government employee. He shouldn't be, you know what? If he's going to go out and do uh, do sp uh, the speaker lecture circuit, that money should come to the government because we gave him that ability to be able to do that. You know, he might be able to get a, st a stipend for travel and lodging, Stip but no, you don't get to make money. Yeah. Stipend, stipend. Yeah, thank anyway, you. Hi, mom. Love you. Miss thank, you. Thank you. Annie. You know, call your son sometimes, mom. I mean, is your finger broken? Yeah, or call me. Either way, I'm, I'm probably more, I'm probably more interesting to to talk to. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's I'll see. have my mom call you, Brad. It's okay. I'll have my mom Trish, call you. He refers. Oh, there we go. Trish, he refers to Trump throughout that entire interview as the boss. I I thought I thought that was kind of the interesting boss. too. Because he is. I mean, let's face it. Like, I I have to tell you, the one thing I truly miss about Trump being in office is that we had an alpha male in office. I mean, I cannot tell you how much I miss that. I miss the fact that countries feared us, that North Korea didn't even mess with us. Up. That, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, that's just, I never, ever thought that I would see an American president in North Korea ever. In my lifetime, I never thought that would happen. Talking so to the, the fact that man. it did, and he did that without yeah, security. After, exactly, and he did it after like completely demeaning him and insulting him, and then he was still like, "Oh, why don't you come over and have coffee? And we'll we'll chit chat." I'm like, "This is this is insane." Like, we need that kind of power. Like, that's what that's what America is all about. I'm sorry, but America has been kicking ass and taking names for 256 years. We need to keep doing it, and we're not going to do it with ice cream boy in office. Yeah. We're just not like. We are we are failing miserably, and it's embarrassing. I'm sorry when I have to watch the Australian news. Yep. To get an accurate picture of my president, that's that's pretty low. Like that's pretty bad. Another quote from the the interview: uh, Navarro says stolen stolen elections have catastrophic consequences. He's absolutely convinced and says he lays it out in the book that this election was stolen. Yes. Now, that line right there is going to get us banned from a whole bunch of places. I, hopefully, we'd get delete off of YouTube before they catch it. But that's what he said. Yeah, that's what he said. And, and if you read his book, he documents it out. And it's a, lot of, it's a lot of shady stuff. It's changing the rules the last day. It's all of it. It's all of it. Not one specific thing flipped the election. It was a bunch of stuff that went down. He lays it out. And, and if you listen to it on audio... It has his inflection, his, you know, as you read, you try and figure it out. But when you listen to him on audio, you know exactly what he's saying. And it's, it's, it just made my thoughts on the election that much more solidified that Trump what, won, Biden was installed. What was the number that he gave that China was responsible for as, for damages? Trillions. Yeah, but was it 70 trillion or 20 trillion? 
I think it was twenty trillion. I'm not sure. I want to say it was twenty. I want to say seventy. Regardless, you think it was seventy? Regardless, yeah, it was an amount that I was like, because twenty trillion is the size of our GDP. It was more than that. But either way, regardless, it's a lot of money. And Trish, he says, you know, how do we get that from them? We cancel all the debt they hold. I don't know how much that is, but it's significant. It's in the trillions. And we confiscate all of their real estate holdings, or at least the real estate holdings of CCP members. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's extreme or not. I haven't heard anybody say that out loud. So when I heard it, I thought, wow, there's somebody who's ready to take some action. Well, I mean, define extreme. Look at the conditions we've been living in for the last year and a half. I mean, that you can't get any more extreme than what's going on right now. I mean, it's, I mean, we've had, you know, start with the Chinese that were welding doors to apartments closed, apartment yeah. buildings, so people couldn't get out. We've got, you know, people in New Zealand being held in camps. We've got, you know, I mean, just look at a look around. Like this is this is if you wanted to know how World War II happened and how you know Germany exterminate all the jews look like just look around this is how they did it incrementally little by little we are in extreme times and i i have don't i don't have any problem with them with having an extreme view like that we have to we have to take care of our country i mean this country is precious and it's special and we need to take care of it brit he uh says you know you've probably read a lot of books about the trump administration he said they're all garbage, basically, based on anonymous sources and false reports. He says he gives it to you like a straight shot of whiskey with no chaser. No whiskey. <laughs> with no ch yeah, the way I like my whiskey and my women. Uh, by the way, RL says in uh, in uh, YouTube chat, he first said $10 trillion, then doubled it to $20 trillion. So that's what RL remembers. Um, yeah, he it's a straight shooting book. I mean, he pulls no punches, and I, I love that term. Uh, what do you call Bill Crystal? Uh, the uh, the highly educated high moron. IQ moron. Yeah, high IQ high moron. High IQ moron. <laughs> high IQ moron. I like uh, that. I love that saying. That is that is probably the most dangerous person on this planet is a person who has a bit of education and is an idiot. Yeah, uh, because oh, they think Fauci. Smart. Fauci. Um, Fauci is that in spades? Yeah, and the fact, and again, like when I found, I thought Fauci would, was a practicing doctor for a long time. Like Rand Paul is no. a practicing doctor. And no, he, he did he did two years, two years in a residency type of thing, and then off into government he went, and which explains a lot why he's willing to you know torture beagle puppies with eating the face off by sand flea flies. I mean, yeah, he's stuff he's, that, like, he's a research. He's a research scientist. Yeah, he's a, he is he is not a doctor. He is not a, he is not a bedside practicing physician. Although he likes to you know say no. that oh well I have I see patients at the NIH. Yeah, there's patients who belong to other doctors that happen to be there. You come in and say hi and then leave. You look at their chart and say a few things and then leave. That's not you being a doctor. That's that's you running the show. Yeah. That's that's fine. But yeah, he is he is definitely a research scientist and a bureaucrat. He is not a physician. Um, and for those of you that think that uh, that uh, Dr. Navarro is a Trump sycophant or a Trump bootlicker, he goes out in the book. He goes after uh, Trump's son-in-law pretty hard. Really hard, actually, particularly about all the China stuff uh, and the back dealing that that uh, Kushner was doing. I mean, he, he lays it out pretty poignantly in the book that Kushner was about making money. It's about making money and he wants some back dealing stuff. And um, yeah, so so he he is he he does not he gives credit where credits due, and he in his mind and then he doesn't hold any punches, whether you're right, left or center. 
if he thinks you did something bad, he he laid it out in the book. It was it was a well 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 uh, well worth twenty bucks I spent. Right. Once again, the the book is called "In Trump Time: A Journal of America's Plague Year." And we have links in our descriptions of the program that you can click on to get easy access to it. Plus, it helps us out a little bit. So I want to talk in the few minutes we've got left you know, here. Well, go ahead. Hold on. Hold on. The one thing, the, the other thing that he said, the quote that he said that made me laugh, but I didn't hear it when we when we actually did the interview live. I, I, but I laughed my ass off here is when he called Tony Fauci an SOB. Yeah. We got to get that SOB out of him. Yeah. <laughs> he, called, he just called him a son of a bitch. <laughs> Holy crap. I love the fact that he pulls no punches. Uh, that's a fun discussion to have. You know, the ones that are awfully careful with their words, worried about who they're going to offend, that's not quite as, as much fun. He was disciplined. He knew what he wanted to say. He said it. We were done in f maybe 16 minutes. And uh, he was gone. But we really appreciate him joining us again, Dr. Peter Navarro. And his book is In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year. I want to take the few minutes we have left here and just talk about a few of the items in the news. No one has mentioned anything about voting in the House. So I don't know if that's happening or not. But did anybody catch the clip? And I didn't get to cut it out. I wanted to. But with the interview today, I just didn't have time. But of Biden denying to uh, Peter Ducey that the fe denying the reports that the Wall Street Journal broke that the federal government was going to be paying illegals up to four hundred fifty thousand dollars and and each and maybe up to a million dollars for a family. Uh, I'm assuming everybody has, has has seen that clip that where Biden says no that's garbage no no we're not doing mm -hmm. that and we're not doing that. Well, either Biden's lying or Biden doesn't know. And I'm not sure which we've already we, we know he didn't know about the deal that Australia had with France for subs. And and he, uh, you know, interfered with that, apparently, and wasn't aware of what was going on, wasn't aware that the French were pissed. He seems to be not aware of a lot of things. So I suppose that's a viable explanation. But the bottom line is the White House is now uh, admitting that they are, in fact, going to be paying some of these uh, these claims for illegals who were separated Children and parents, families were separated after they crossed the border illegally under the Trump administration. Uh, I don't know what you think, Trish, if he's lying or doesn't know. But regardless, this is a real insult to Americans struggling. This is a real insult to people who've come here legally and done and done uh, you know the right thing, made the right decisions, not broken our laws. This is just a real insult all the way around. Yeah, well, a couple of things. One, he can be both not know what's going on and lying. That first of all, so I think it's both. He's been lying his whole career. I, he doesn't even know how to tell the truth. I mean, so I, he's lying and he doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't. He really doesn't know what's going on. He's not running the show. He's not calling the shots. He has he has no clue. Um, but yeah, no. If Biden starts paying illegal immigrants. Uh, you're going to see a revolt in this country like you've never seen. You think what's going on in New York City is bad now? Just wait. Just wait, because all we have to do is get the African-American community and it's already it's already floating around on Twitter. It's like the African-American community is already starting with this. If they pay the illegals before they pay us, we're done. And so I, I honestly, it's it's going to be an interesting show. I personally, I if they start paying illegals, why what impetus do I as an American have to do to do anything legally? If they're going to pay illegals. Screw yeah. it, then I'm, I'm not going to follow the law either. Like, why should I? I? It's my money. You're using my money to pay people who broke the law. Like, no, no. People done. who broke the law who are not American citizens 
and and they're they're claiming um, some type of um, injury because the Trump administration was actually following the law. They are required by law to separate children and parents if they can't prove that they belong together. They're required to do that. So this yeah, whole thing, we need, to, we need to address that. Yeah. This whole thing's a sham, Britt. Yeah, we need to. Ad- yeah, we need to address that because the reason, the reason, when you take the time to look into what was going on, uh, I have a buddy who's a border patrol agent that was down there for part of that chaos. Um, we had a policy under Obama: you come across as a family union, you stay in, we let you in, we don't send you back, we don't break you up. But what they started figuring out is that there were family members on the Mexican side of the border renting their children to the coyotes to get their cargo, the other humans, across. So they were not biological. And then the cartels just started kidnapping kids from further south and bringing them up and using them to get them across. And then those kids would would miraculously somehow go back across and come across again and go back across and come across again. I mean, I, I was told stories that they would see the same kid three and four times in a week. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So that's when they started doing the DNA swab and checking. And that's when they had to start separating. They were in the camps. They were having uh, molestations, assaults. Uh, it was not, it's not a pretty area. It's not, so they had to do something. That's what they started to do to make sure that they were family members. The problem was, is that when they would separate them and then the adults would get released, they would disappear into the woodwork and then all of a, and leave their kid behind. And now they got to go find that adult who doesn't want to be found. So this was not a clear-cut case of government abuse like, you know, um, Biden flying his son to China on, you know, Air Force Two to make billions of dollars. I mean, it wasn't that clear-cut. This is a very gray area, bad policy written by our politicians. Write a damn better law. Jesus, give our guys a hand with a better clear-cut law. And that's what happens there. And now we're going to give them 450. You know what? You know what happens when an American soldier dies? They don't even get their families don't even get a four hundred thousand dollar life insurance uh, policy payout. It's not even four hundred thousand dollars. You know, I pay my taxes. All my taxes. I mean, the amount of money they're going to spend, I'll never pay that much taxes in my life. Why the hell? Why should we pay taxes into somewhere we're just going to hand it away? And what I want to see is a Ron DeSantis or a Greg Abbott or a Christy Nome or just want them to say, you know what? Uh, we're not giving the federal government any more money. No more. We're done. As long as that stuff's going on. As long as California can say we're a sanctuary city and ICE can't operate here, you know what? UIRS agents can't operate in our state. Piss off. That's what I want to see happen because this is BS. Yeah, I mean, if they can stop uh, immigration officials from operating in their states or their cities, their sanctuary cities, why can't they do that with the IRS? Trish, one of the things that's most egregious about this is that the ACLU is is battling this fight, is fighting this battle in on behalf of these illegals. The ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, is not standing up for Americans that are being imprisoned for trespassing for months at a time in solitary confinement. They're not standing up for conservatives that are being uh, denied their uh, First Amendment rights on digital platforms and being censored for political speech. Uh, But the ACLU chooses to step up for these illegal immigrants. That's kind of disgusting as well. The ACLU is not standing up for American political prisoners who are being held in the D.C. prison who are being withheld. They're having their food and water withheld yeah. and not being allowed to speak to their attorneys. But they're going to help the illegal aliens. I, The ACLU is a joke. It's an absolute joke. It's like the Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, they're they're equally as as ridiculous and redundant and repugnant at this point. So, I, yeah, the ACLU can 
do something that I'm not allowed to say because you'll probably get in trouble. All right. I've got one more thing I want to cover quickly uh, before we can call in a night. Uh, we just had this climate summit in, in Glasgow. We have, we talked about it a lot last night or was it the night before? I know we talked about it. Either way, uh, there's no, there's please. an article from the Wall Street Journal that says climate deaths hit a record low in 2021. So there, the Democrats are out telling us how cl- this extreme weather caused by climate change, not true is you know creating uh, devastation around the country and killing people. Well, it turns out that climate deaths hit a record low in 2021. So that's a lie. But here's something that's even scarier. If you haven't seen this yet, Al Gore is talking about promoting technology that'll track the identities of greenhouse gas emitters so they can, quote, take action. Britt? They're going to tag you, monitor your greenhouse gas emission, and if you do too much, you'll get a visit from a few people that are going to take away some of the things that burn fuel in your home. Maybe it's your furnace, maybe it's your car, maybe it's the uh, something else. I don't know, but this is this no. is how does Al Gore, former vice president of the United States, think this is a good idea? So number one, they're not going to take anything from us. They're just going to charge us. We're going to get a fine because they want our money, not our stuff. And what's going to correct all this is if we have a brutally cold winter this year, and with the price of heating oil and the amount of people that are going to die on the East Coast from freezing, from the lack of heat and blackouts or brownouts or whatever you call whiteouts, I guess you would call it in the winter, when all, the, when all of the solar plants and windmills freeze up and break, um, we're going to lose a lot of lives. We're going to kill. Pro- I, my guess is we're going to, we're probably going to kill, I don't know, 15, 20,000 people uh, this year because of uh, the Green New Deal people. And, you know, they will say, oh, it was, it was, that's not, we need a government program to fix that. There'll be another government program to fix that, but it'll still kill people. So, again, down the rabbit hole we go of insanity. Uh, Virginia was a, I mean, uh, gives us hope. Virginia and all the other elections give us hope. Problem is, after what we've seen from the mainstream media and the politicians that have been speaking that are leftists, they didn't learn a lesson yet. They have not learned their lesson. I think it's going to take dead people before that happens. I need to read what Gore says here. He says, we get data consistently from 300 existing satellites, more than 11,000 ground-based, air-based, sea-based sensors, multiple internet data streams, and using artificial intelligence. All that information is combined, visible light, infrared, all of the other information that is brought in, and we can now accurately determine where the greenhouse gas emissions are coming from. And next year, we'll have it down to the level of every single power plant, refinery, every large ship, every plane, every waste dump, and we'll have the identities of the people who are responsible for each of those greenhouse gas emission streams. And if investors or governments or civil society activists want to hold them responsible, then they'll have the information upon which to base their action and holding them responsible, Trish. I mean, it's I, 1984, I am, man. I am it's not, 1984. Yeah, I am not reading Mein Kampf. I am not reading 1984, but this could come from either one of those books. Oh, absolutely. And the funny thing is, is that the people who are the biggest polluters, like Al Gore, whose carbon yeah, footprint right. is 100 times what mine is, yep. he'll never be one of those people. Bill Gates won't be, you know, yep. all these all these millionaires who were jetting around in their private jets and their yachts and their private planes to go to climate change conferences in Scotland. They're not 85 car motorcades. They're not going to be punished for that. Yep. No. Who are they going to come after? Who are they going to come after? 
They're going to come after the corporations. They're going to fight them. Yeah, it's which is going to they're going to pass that fine along to the consumer, and it's the middle class who's going to suffer. Yeah, I do want to respond to something that Kelsey said in uh, our chat here. Kelsey said uh, that Newsom went to the climate summit, and that's probably true. I don't know for a fact, but I have no doubt that would be true. In addition to that, what did I just do? In addition, you covered me up. What the heck? (laughs) I don't know what I just did. Thanks, JV. (laughs) Sorry, I, I. I just hit my scroll with one. But the other thing is Eric Garcetti went. Eric Garcetti. Oh, I know what I did. Eric Garcetti went mayor of L.A. Now, I know he's going to be an ambassador to India or something. I'm not sure what country it is. I think it's India. Uh, but, man, what the frick is Garcetti doing at the and, climate conference? And he gets COVID. And he gets COVID. And he's stuck in Glasgow <laughs> until he works through all of that. It's classic. Hey, I have to I mean, on a very Glasgow. serious note, on a very serious note here. The COVID infections, I mean, it doesn't, vaccinated or not, it seems to make no difference. These infections are getting very, very close to the president of the United States. And regardless of the fact that we don't think Joe Biden is a good president of the United States, if he gets sick, he's in an age group that is very vulnerable to this disease. And if we, if, if he suffers a tragedy in that respect, we get Kamala Harris. Uh, This whole thing is a nightmare shaping up to be here. Well, real quick, before I talk about that, before I hit that, I, I just want to uh, go back to the great Dr. Wrightstone that we had on the other day with one of his great slides. This is a 300-year warming trend. See the dotted line that kind of goes up evenly from left to right? And then you see the squiggly lines. That's kind of just how the how the uh, the CO2 kind of goes up and down, up and down, up and down. But if you look at the bottom, our consumption that we're kicking out, the carbon dioxide levels, doesn't really start till 59, but yet the squiggly lines kind of just stay constant. So it's almost like our, our carbon dioxide output, really, our CO2 emissions is not really affecting what our temperature and readings are doing. So I don't really care how many satellites Al Gore has. <laughs> we have hard numbers right here yeah. that were studied by the top five, top seven world-renowned science, uh, climate scientists, Dr. Wright, uh, Wrightstone was saying. And it's just it's just a natural three hundred year warming trend yeah. that that really goes way back before our our you know industrial age. So yeah, I want to point um, out something on this chart. The Earth just, is doing what the Earth does. Yeah, and I just uh, just, just want to make sure that everybody understands what this chart is saying. Uh, obviously, you pointed out the temperature. It's it is a gradual increase from sixteen ninety five, which is the beginning of the warming, according to. Uh, Dr. Wrightstone, and uh, brings it up to 2000. Looks like 2009 is the last year he has data in here. And that jump in carbon dioxide isn't measuring carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That's not what that is. That's a measurement of annual carbon dioxide emissions. So in other words, that carbon dioxide, one of two things is happening. Either it doesn't have an effect, has no effect on the warming, or it's just being naturally dissipated in the environment through plant life and other things. It's one of those two things because it is clearly not having an effect on the temperature. It, there's no change in that chart and that gradual warming that began in 1695 as that carbon dioxide annual emissions spikes. There's no change whatsoever. And this is all hard data measurements. This is not a scientist model, computer model, or an expert guessing. This is hard data. Al Gore is using models because, you know, they need to tweak them and, and 
salt the information to make sure that they can grift for millions of dollars and keep their big big carbon footprints and pay for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. Which is what they're doing with COVID as well. They're using models. Yeah. Not they're not using yep. actual data, which is why they're the fear police are all out. Ooh, oh, we're gonna have a billion people in the hospital. No, we're not. Like stop. This is just ridiculous. Yeah. Um yeah, I have a graft here. You want to show you want to do something? Okay. Yeah. That was a great yeah, show, by the way. I, I, I listened to that. With, uh, I listened what? to that this morning. With uh, that with was great. Gregory with Wrightstone. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a great that was a great one. Yeah, he's a fantastic uh, scientist, and he, he you know he he's one of the ones that puts it in perspective. Look, perspective looks at the data and doesn't jump to conclusions, and he's not looking for data that support his conclusions. He he's making conclusions based on the real data, and so it's a. Uh, it's nice to it's refreshing to have a conversation like that. I'm I'm vamping for you, Britt. Do you have something or I know. Yeah, you know what? I'm not finding it really <laughs> okay. easy, sorry. That's all right. So That's but basically right. I it, it's a it's a chart that shows that's from Dr. Wrightstone and it shows the the actual temperature readings from a satellite, the actual temperature readings from the weather balloons that we're putting up and yeah. and then the model. There was hundred and twelve oh, yeah. CCP you, something, something, something models. Yeah, yeah. And you can't find it. In the beginning they're kind of right on. I can't find it real quick. And then all of a sudden, the models take off going up while the hard data just just, just doing its thing while the yep. model goes to the roof. Yeah. So it was like, what changed? Oh, they figured out a way to grift. And then they stopped reporting the actual numbers, and they started reporting the model numbers that they can control. Yep. So. Yeah, it's a scam. It's a giant, giant scam. And they all walk around and talk about how the science is settled and how... You're, you're, you're a lunatic if you don't believe it, and we're going to die in five years, seven years, two years. I think Greta Thunberg said one year we have now or something. You know, like she knows. Like she, like this this kid knows. She doesn't know. Listen, listen to the high school dropout. Come on. The best, most brilliant scientists in the world can still only guess at what they think is going to happen. They can only guess. And the part of the reason is that the 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 cyclical nature of the earth takes tens of thousands of years to develop we don't even know what that curve is yet we can only really guess based on what little data we can pull out of the ground to tell us what happened you know 100,000 years ago a million years ago 100 million years ago we don't know right well, we have we already we already well, know we, that the earth was much warmer that's right you know millions of years ago than it is right now so what did the dinosaurs do that caused you know the yeah. high temperatures must have been, been the methane must have been must, must have been dinosaur yeah. farts yeah uh there and, we go exactly. and we also know that the three uh two-thirds or three-quarters or two-thirds of the earth was covered by ice just a few tens of thousands of years ago so we've been well, clearly warming since then but man hasn't been responsible for that man had nothing to do with that Caveman and their fires. And their like, little listen, fires, that's yeah. A, all, that's all, a lot of carbon dioxide. <laughs> all 20,000 cavemen that were on the earth at that point. It's so crazy. It's so, so when I read, Anybody with logic so when I read, can see through this shit. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. When I read Dr. Wright, uh, Dr. Wrightstone's book, technically I listened to it, um, he talks about how we do have 600,000 years of CO2 levels and temperatures from the ice cores in Antarctica. 600,000 years, they can go back and they can tell us how hot the earth was or how cold it was and how much CO2 was in the air. So we do have some data. Yeah, and it's, it's, remember that chart he had? It's data, but it's not what? exact data. It's 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 a, it's a interpreted data, too. So, you know, it does tell us some things, but it's not 
It's still a, a lot of guesswork on the part of the scientists that are reading the data and, and determining these trends. Anyway, that's what I got. Did you have, oh, I thought you had that. I was waiting for the chart. I'm like, I'm waiting for it. It's no, I, 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 I don't know where they went. I don't know where they went. I did, I I did download his app on my phone and oh, nice. yeah, like, it's, it's amazing. Those graphs are I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to steal that one. I'm yeah, going to steal that it's one. It's called inconvenient facts. F-A-C-T-S facts. Yes. Uh, not yeah. F-A-X facts. <laughs> which nobody uses anymore. Does anybody use a fax machine anymore? Is that even something? No, that we still, mm. we yeah, we still have to fax some things to Seriously? some of our, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, and there, we, there is no fax machine. I, I don't even know where a fax machine on my entire <laughs> where I, I don't know where it is. Wow. I know there is one. I think there's one in human resources. I think that's the only place that I actually know that there's a fax machine. Right. Everybody yeah. emails like what you scan it and you email it. What's the big deal? I, I think know. it's the intro to Jurassic Park, the book, I think, where Michael Crichton writes about global warming, climate change. Is that where it is? I think that's where I read it. Is that right? Does anybody know? Yeah. It's, it, There's it's another like the, book, too. It's like the forward of the book. And uh, it, it puts this into a perspective that anybody who reads that has to say, okay, at the very best... I have to be skeptical of what these people are saying. That's as much credit as you can possibly give them is being skeptical right. of it. Listening, but being skeptical. I'm an outright, they're, they're full of shit. They don't know what they're talking about. That's where I am. Um, and I mean, look at, look at what they've done. How can, how can somebody, and I say somebody, it's a group of people be so wrong so many times and still stand there and say, the things they're saying they've they've given us deadlines over and over and over again that come and go and there's absolutely no chance it's not even like we get close to an apocalypse it's not even like we get close to armageddon you know there's no change really and not significantly the first thing i thought of when you said that was fauci i'm like how many times has he said that and then flip-flopped and said yeah, the exact well, opposite of what he said three months Mike, the welcome to the federal government where you can be completely wrong 100% of the time and you're still going to get a $400,000 paycheck. And then they tell us, that, no, we're going into an ice age. No, we're going into an ice age. No, we're going to, we're, now we're going to uh, global warming. You know, it's, now it's, if it snows in June, that's proof of global warming. Oh, no, it's not global warming. Now it's climate change. It's change. It's, you know, I mean, they just keep changing the discussion and the argument and they're never, ever right. Why would anybody... Listen to what they say and take it as anything other than conjecture and propaganda. What do you get? This is the chart, Britt? Yeah. This is the chart with the 102 IPCC CMIP-5 climate model runs. So the red line is the model, the experts saying, and then the squares and the circles are the real, real world actual measurements from balloons weather balloons, and satellite data sets. So as you notice, they're right around 1995. Uh, the models go through the roof, and, you know, the, 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 real, so the real measurements just keep doing what they're doing. It's so funny. Which really goes right, it goes right along with the warming trend. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it all just, 
it all just kind of flows. And the other the other thing that was really interesting about Gregory Wrightstone's uh, message to us when we talked to him on Tuesday night was that he was saying that uh, if we actually do have some warming, and we have had some, but if it continues a little bit and we do have increased CO2 levels, it'll be a bountiful, and this is this is the chart, it'll be a bountiful time for humanity. Every time we have that in human history we've had great civilizations rise we've had great advancement in the human condition and when we lose it and we go into cooling periods we we lose all of that uh that's a huge point that needs to be made as well in his book he really goes into detail about this about how it worked i mean he talks about the vikings and why they disappeared from the iceland area country and uh countries up there in the north where they came out of Brit, we um, had this conversation how, how... Brit, Brit, we had this conversation it's scandinavia scandinavia you're right scandinavia <laughs> iceland scandinavia but, but did we did we really did we did we make a decision that iceland is part of scandinavian countries did yeah, we well, actually well, make i thought we were still kind of well we we, we, we decided since it was owned by denmark for a very very long time that we would include it in scandinavia but it's its own country and it's to the kind of the northwest of england so it's not over it. with norway sweden and finland so we had this whole conversation do you want me to draw a chart for you or that's true i i i don't know i just don't remember very well because i'm old but but he did talk about i mean for the human condition and mammals in general and everything that's living right now on plants we don't do well in the cold i mean look at how it look i mean think about you know the european stretch around the world the, their latitude or longitude latitude sideways right latitude yes latitude so that lat would be under like 600 feet of ice we we as humans can't live on that nope we're done yep. so we don't necessarily i can envision a day i don't know about our lifetime but i can envision a day where we're where we're like shit how do we build a 350 short block motor to put to start burning more of this fuel fast you know that we're going to go back to uh, take those smog recoveries off of the coal-fired fire, uh, power plants. We got to get some CO2 in the air so we don't go into an ice age. Yeah, I, I, I can envision that day because, you know. And then the other chart that he had was, I mean, it was it was the uh, it was the uh, this one right here, which was the survival threshold for vegetation needs a certain level of CO2, which is the red line at the bottom there. And if you look at the blue dots, the blue line, as it's going down, 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 that's the level of CO2 in the air. We almost hit that red line, which would kill off plants. If plants die, they're not making oxygen, which means we die. So we are dangerously low. We are, like, really close to not having enough CO2 in the air. He called it a, we're a CO2-starved planet. So the, but if you look at the black line, that was kind of the the scientists, the experts' projection. If man had not started doing what we did in the industrial era, to kind of get that nosedive on that blue line to pull up a little bit, and now we're kind of paralleling, and that's where we're at right now. We're paralleling that red line, and now we want to clean up our air even more. That we we want to remove more CO two. Does that make let's sense just, to anybody? Yeah, and let's also I mean, make if a, we're looking. Let's also make a distinction between CO two and pollution. CO two is not pollution. CO two right. is actually a very important healthy component of the atmosphere it's what plants thrive on it's what they survive on um, the oceans have a lot of co2 in them it's important for life in the oceans as well it's not a pollutant it's not smog it's not smoke co2 is not that it is a greenhouse it's just amazing gas. when yeah yeah it is amazing I, the information i love how he talked the about information oh, that go comes ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead go ahead no 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 you finish 
No, I'll go ahead. Yeah, it's go just ahead. amazing no, to ahead. me that we well, get I'll someone on who, who... Oh, shut up. <laughs> Stop being jealous. What not? We're trying, um, we're trying to be polite here. <laughs> yes, polite. But we shouldn't be. Um, we should just talk. But uh, it's amazing that we have this gentleman on, this Wrightstone. I mean, he's a... He's a, he's a uh, uh, Geologist. What was his doctorate in? He's a, he's a geologist with the, with the last name of Wrightstone. How amazing is that? But uh, he has all this knowledge with data, and you read his book. Like, at the end of his book, there's like 47 pages of source material. I mean, everything is sourced out. It makes sense, but the media can't make money off of it because it doesn't scare us. And that's what this is. Climate change is a grift. And he proves it in his book. And he has seven other highly educated scientists, world-renowned, been doing this stuff since they were knee-high to a grasshopper, and they're in their 70s now. Um, and, and they just all shake their head at the hysteria that, that, that's going on with our government and our media, but they're all making money off of it. So yeah, because they want to focus on the, the few greenhouse gases that, that humans are involved with, like methane and carbon dioxide. But they don't want to talk about water vapor, which is the biggest contributor to the greenhouse. Like, water vapor is like, you have the pie chart, like, this is the it's whole like 98% like, this, or something like that. Right. Is water vapor. Water vapor is like all yeah. this. And then this little sliver over here, this is carbon dioxide and methane. And so they're focusing on that little sliver and completely neglecting the big picture where water vapor is really the most important thing when it comes to climate change. But they don't want to talk about that either because that's, again, it's inconvenient. It doesn't, and it doesn't doesn't sell it doesn't freak people out it doesn't bring the lemmings in to get taxed so that they can fix it for them yeah and sadly the solutions that they're offering to this existential problem that they keep telling us we have are life altering way of life altering they are quality of life altering standard of living altering uh and we're already seeing the effects of it when you can't fill your gas tank you know, for less than 150 bucks. I mean, this is where we're headed. It's crazy. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, not to use a weather, climate, slash uh, global warming reference. But um, yeah, that's 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 the truth. We've got to we've got to tell them to to just give it up. We just can't do this crap. Uh, we we've went a few minutes over here, but uh, it was worth the conversation. Oh wow! But by the way, uh, do we still have? I think we have in the descriptions of the program from Tuesday. We've got links to Gregory Wrightstone's book. It's called Inconvenient Facts. Right? We still have those links in there, Brett. I would assume they would have survived. Yeah, I'm, I would think so. I'm look. I'm looking right now. Uh, yep, looks like they're looks like they're there. And then in in for tonight's program, fact, we, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna grab. I'm gonna put them in chat. Okay. And then for tonight's program, uh, we have description in the description links to uh, Dr. Peter Navarro's book as well. His book is called oh, what was it called? Trump time. What was it? Trump this time. Is, this Trump, Trump time. time. Yeah. Hold on, it's called... I need to order that one now. In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year. So we have links to that. So with that, we're going to call it a night. Tomorrow night, we've got the Independence Gang. Trish, thanks for joining us on this. We appreciate you jumping hold on. on hold and, on, hold oh, on, hold yeah, on. What, 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 what? We have to release the Krakens. Yeah, go ahead and release yes. the Krakens. Go, do it. Because I'm, I'm on Foxhole. I won a lotto ticket. Yeah, Chad, Chad hasn't been super right, active in Foxhole tonight. All right, I am. I just released the scratch offs in Foxhole. Are you taking care of the uh, lemons? Yep. In D Live. Done. Awesome. All right, we have released the Kraken. Right. Okay. We good. And then I also put links in the chat for uh, for Doctor Wrightstone's book, which is really amazing. Inconvenient facts. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. All right, with that, again, thanks, Trish, for joining us tonight. It was good to have your perspective on all this. And uh, share this interview with uh, Dr. Peter Navarro. Share share the episode with uh, with folks. It's really a great interview. We're really uh, happy to and honored, actually, to have had him on and, and thank everybody who made that possible. With that, remember, tomorrow night you've got uh, we've got the Independence Gang, 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to join us for that. That's going to do it. Take care.